this week on Dig Me Out. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Speaking of the union, Jay, we've had a few new members join. Mr. Mike Androff, he joined us recently. And also Carl F. at the new tier, Jay. Can you explain this new magical tier that we've created? Because I didn't even know it existed. You just made it happen. Oh, it's not a new tier. You can, uh, instead of paying us per month to be a member, you can just pay in advance. So if you hate that annoying, like five bucks coming out a month, you can just get it all out of the way up front. And then Tim can nice. figure out how to schedule your your review. Yes, thank you for making it harder on me. <laughs> I appreciate that. Sorry about that. You're a smart uh, guy. I'll figure it out. I'll do the math. Uh, it's going to take a while, but. So for this particular episode, Jay, we are we have reached back into the depths of of Dig Me Out, going back to season one, the un- oh the the almost unlistenable recorded via in- uh, AIM Instant Messenger <laughs> or AOL Messenger. I don't know how they were done. It was ten years yeah. ago. Uh, it was such a different world back then, and uh, we used to do episodes in ten minutes. Believe it or not, now we do them in in ten times that that length. Yeah. You know, roughly. So on episode five, this is episode five hundred and thirteen. On episode five, wow. Mister Chip Midnight, he stopped by and we talked about an album. Chip, can you can you share what that record was? That record was Triple Fast Action's Broadcaster. That was yes. a long ten years ago. That was 10 right. years ago. That's where the, the Chip Midnight Dig Me Out relationship started was on that. Now, we knew Chip before that, but that's where, and Chip has been a part of the podcast ever since then, uh, joining us for various in- interviews and episodes and roundtables and whatnot. We come back to the second record by Triple Fast Action, <laughs> five eight episodes later. Did you, did you guys go back and listen to that episode? No, I don't listen to any old episodes. It's too, it's too painful. <laughs> That's painful. I listened to it yesterday to make sure that I don't repeat stories. And I, I, we talked about the second Triple Fest record. And you guys said something like, yeah, we'll get to that in about 5,000 episodes from now. So you, <laughs> episodes. you got, you got there early. So we knew yeah. so we're ahead of schedule. That's, that's yeah. okay. Um, yeah, rarely do we get to a second record by a band. I think we've only had it happen four or five times in in the 500 episodes. So I'm glad we're getting to do this. But if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And we're going to get a bunch of people on to talk about the record. So joining us, I don't know from what parts of the country, but we're all in Zoom land, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, joining us, I'm going to go around my squares here that I'm looking at. Uh, Mr. Brian St. Clair, welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Where, exciting. What part, of, what part of the country are you in? So I know your time zone. I'm in Michigan. I'm outside of Detroit, about 45 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then if I go to this, if I feel like this is Hollywood Squares. If I go to bottom right square for me, 
It's Kev- Kevin. I don't know how to pronounce your last name because I've only read it. What's the correct pronunciation? It's it, it's pronounced Tiesta. It sounds just like Fiesta. There you go. I should have I should have googled that before, but I I do as little pre work as possible for this. I also have an eight year old, so that kind of takes away all my free time. <laughs> but welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And then also joining us uh, for me is uh, bottom left. We have no center square here, so uh, maybe that will be filled later in the show. Uh, Mr. Justin Wexler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am in Chicago, appropriately. Perfect. Kevin, where are you at? I forgot to ask. I'm, I'm in Downers Grove, which is just right outside of Chicago. Okay. So, Justin, you mentioned to us, you're part of our Patreon community. Yeah, I think about two years. And yeah, so you know, the, you know the chaos that goes on at the Patreon <laughs> community with regards to all the records that get suggested. Sure, uh, yeah. Every yeah, I, month. I found myself, myself voting for ones uh, against ones that I suggested. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it does. It does sometimes present a conundrum when you you suggested a record and somebody else suggested one. You go, oh, that's actually a really good idea. Because yep. uh, yep. every month at Patreon, we we have eight or nine records that are suggested via our website. You can just throw them into the, the hopper via that website, digmeoutpodcast.com, and we our patrons vote on them. On occasion, rarely, like twice a year, Jay and I say, hey, we've got a free episode. We can do whatever we want with this episode. And so we chose this particular episode as one of our, our free spots to um, to take a suggestion that you had, Justin. We're going to revisit the second Triple Fast Action album, Cattlemen Don't. So here's the question that's been burning in my mind. What is the don't? Cattlemen <laughs> Don't. What does that mean? Where's that, where's that title come from? That. I, I, I wish I knew. Uh, I don't think I don't think we've ever known what cattlemen don't means. Is this a meatloaf situation? Like I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And you don't know what that is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So let's see. What this episode is coming out. What was it? Uh, the Tuesday. Tuesday the 10th. So let me think about this. Justin, is the, is the news out now? Uh, it will be by the time this airs, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, Not yet. <laughs> all right. So, so this, this will, nobody will know about this bef- uh, before. Can you explain what the special reason? This isn't just an album review. We're also going to be talking about something else. Can you t- share with our audience the special occasion that this episode is wrapped around? Sure. Yeah, I thought um, you know I reached out about this because we're doing a um, first time ever vinyl reissue of Cattlemen Don't. Uh, Twenty twenty three years later, um, finally getting out on vinyl. I know the the nineties were not a great time for vinyl releases. Um, I run a label called Forging and Records out of Chicago since 2000, so almost the 90s. Um, and I reached out. I know Triple Fast Action had posted about it on uh, their socials. They were, you know, thinking about doing it, and I reached out, and they were excited about doing it. And we uh, we 
figured it out and made it happen. Took some time, but uh, digging through tapes and finding all sorts of fun bonus stuff to add in and uh, buried, buried in tapes. You guys were very prolific. <laughs> Are we live? Like, if we just talk, can you hear us or do we? Need oh, yeah. To be- we're. I mean, oh. we're not, this isn't going live. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, we're recording it and then this will actually be out on the 10th of November. Well, see, seeing as I've never done a Zoom call before, I wasn't sure if you have to like punch me in, kind of like. Oh, no, no, no. You can just talk oh, okay. over or <laughs> under or whatever. <laughs> okay, All right. So, yeah, we, we had lots and lots of material. And, um, as soon as we started talking about this and I, I posted something on the uh, triple fast action, uh, Instagram page. And, um, you know, it, it was one of those things it, it, as soon as Justin jumped in and contacted us, it was, uh, I, I knew that it was the right place only because he was the only one that seemed to care. <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing that for a long time. Uh, you know, putting out stuff that nobody cares. About. <laughs> Not that nobody cares. I think a lot of people, uh, will be excited about this you know that's one of the things i do i you know i only put stuff out that i really like um much to my uh wallet's uh displeasure but um <laughs> you know I, I wanted to to get this out there and i think it's you know it's an important album and i think it's something that people should be able to have on vinyl and have a, a cool deluxe version of and get a bunch of bonus songs and you know I, as, as a fan of the band i wanted to see it happen and i figured this was the best way I'm I'm curious in the, the uh, kind of the nuts and bolts of like how do you put something like this together? Like, are you, are you uh, going through tapes and like how do you get the artwork prep for vinyl and like just what's the high, the top line of like how much effort goes into doing something like this? Uh, this one this one's been pretty considerable. Um, you know, we had to track down tapes, uh, we had to track down masters, and sort of just figuring out what what we want to put on the record. Um, obviously, there's there's so much, but you only have so much space. Um, prepping the art, uh, we have Mark Skillicorn helping us out with that. Uh, he's excellent Chicago artist who's done a bunch of stuff for uh, you guys in the past. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a long process, unfortunately, (laughs) but, uh, we're, we're getting there. And so, um, you know, it's getting pressed soon and we'll have it in January. So the original art obviously, um, is very small. Uh, because when it was created, it was created for CDs. People don't tend to keep those photographs and those uh, design elements around very long, especially stuff from the 90s. And there's been a lot of reissues. Um, Smoking Popes did one. Uh, Archers of Loaf had a bunch of reissues where they sort of had to update the art just because the originals didn't exist in a high enough quality. Uh, so we're sort of doing something a little bit different, but fitting the same theme. So I think it'll be really cool. I think they'll be excited to see it. And then does everything need to get remastered? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had Carl Saff in Chicago kind of tweak it for vinyl. Um, obviously, the original master is great. Um, you know, Red Calvi's a legendary uh, mastering engineer. Uh, we didn't want to mess with the stuff that he had already done. Uh, but, yeah, we had Carl kind of tweak it a little bit for vinyl and uh, master all the unreleased stuff.
so when you guys were thinking about this, how how far back does that go in terms of Brian? You mentioned about saying something on Instagram about wanting to do this. Is this been something that you've been thinking about for a while, or was this something that you came upon um, more recently with regards? I know that you know there's been an, uh, a resurgence of vinyl in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Uh, when, when did this idea sort of uh, form for you? Um, well, for me personally, um, the idea came about probably three, four years ago. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where the previous record label, Deep Elm, um, a long time ago, they stopped working with tangible product. It's everything's online. That was the only way you could get it. Um, a lot of streaming downloads. That's about it. Um, so, you know, I personally was looking for extra copies of Cattleman Don't, and I found that I couldn't get one for under like 25, 30 bucks, which I'm not going to pay. Then I went to Amazon <laughs> and they do this. They, and I found out later that the copy I got was ripped. It wasn't even an actual copy. They were selling them for like, I think, 12 or 15 bucks. And it came with artwork and everything. The artwork was a little different. There was like this weird black border on it, but it skipped in two songs. So what I did was I sent it back to Amazon, said that it skipped. So they sent me back a brand new one. It skipped in the same two spots. So I realized the the copy they had that they were burning from was messed up. And that really uh-huh. pissed me off, thinking that people are buying this mm. and um, not realizing that this is what they have to settle for. So... I was originally talking to a bunch of friends that ran record labels, like, how do you do this yourself? Like if we wanted to do like a Kickstarter and it just seemed like a big mess and way too much for me to tackle. Um, And uh, so then, you know, fast forward and um, vinyl, everybody I know that had old records out were doing reissues, especially local H, um, a band I was in for 14 years. And Scott started doing vinyl reissues of his old records before I even joined the band. And so then I was like, oh, yeah, you know, so it's just a matter of finding someone that will be able to figure out, like, actually has all the the the, the tools to actually make a vinyl record happen. Because I, again, wouldn't know where to begin with that. Um, and um, so here we are. Uh, a couple years, three years later. And, you know, me and Kevin and Wes have been talking a lot about this back and forth for what, Kevin, has it been a year since we started talking about About a year. Yeah. And um, so I brought those guys in and I was like, you know, I need help deciding this stuff, figuring out who do we know. And, you know, all the people I knew had all their money wrapped into so many other projects and they couldn't just, and plus the other problem is we aren't really a band anymore. So people don't want to necessarily put all this effort into a record that they aren't going to go out and support, you know, as far as live Mm -hmm. shows, um, which made it really difficult on that end. Um, so we realized that we're going to have to do more of a, a, a special release where, and and it's limited too. It's it's this isn't something that's going to be in press for a real long time. It's like a one pressing thing, 
right, Justin? <laughs> it's one pressing and that's, then that's the plan for now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh so it is limited. And um, you know, it, it's it's been fun figuring out all this stuff. It's been fun listening to all these old songs. And honestly, there's there's stuff that we unearthed that we don't even remember doing. There was so much material. And I got a hold of all these dat tapes from our old manager and um found all these old cassette tapes in the basement. And I mean, it was just a flood of material. I kept throwing stuff at Justin, seeing what would stick. And, um, you know, I think Justin could probably explain his thought on how we went about choosing some of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, we basically decided let's try to do stuff appropriate for the era. Um, band was incredibly prolific early on. Uh, just the, the sheer amount of stuff that was both pre and uh, I guess mostly pre broadcaster. Uh, it's just unbelievable. There's a lot of great songs that I never heard until uh, I got you know hold of them recently. Um, there's tons of songs that nobody's heard, uh, but I thought it was let's try to do stuff that was around the time of Cattleman Dunn. So stuff that was you know recorded with the record or practice based demos, stuff around it. And then I think a couple of the songs are a little earlier, but they were in the same studio. So it was kind of like, let's try to make everything that fits in this record, um, you know, or with this record. Now, you mentioned about having material that's appropriate to the era. Based on how this goes, is there a consideration of doing the same thing with the first record and doing an expanded, uh, you know, with the CD era, we're, we we didn't really think about putting out albums that fit vinyl length. So you've you've got a lot of records which are just over that vinyl limit, which lend themselves to being released with bonus material. Um, is that something that you guys have have talked about or considered in the future? Sure. Yeah. The, this you know everything goes okay, and the, they want me to do it. Uh, I don't see why not. It's funny you mentioned the um, appropriate for CDs and stuff and not vinyl because I did listen to that other Triple Fast, uh, you know, podcast you guys did. And you guys Uh-oh. talked about that, about <laughs> songs that are just so long. Your last song has to be like 10 minutes long back when you were on CD. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. now you have to think about those things. With a or hidden, a hidden track. track. Yeah. Yeah. Hidden tracks, too. Yeah. <laughs> there any hidden tracks? That was a. <laughs> we didn't 18, have a hidden track. Like eight, 18 yeah. songs with a 10 minute long last song and a hidden track. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those little as one second to, songs. Yeah. As opposed to the albums from the you know 70s that were 35 minutes. <laughs> right. So um, I, I, got, I got a question. So Brian, I think you said it's been about three years since like you started building up the, the Instagram, the social media mm-hmm. stuff. Was that what kind of when triple fat, like when it, did you let go of triple fast for a long time and something a couple of years ago kind of brought you back into it? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I left, I left local H, um, six, seven years ago now. I, I kind of lost track. And I think, um, maybe I was trying to fill a void, <laughs> you know, it's like being out of music for that long. I mean, you know, I was still around it cause I work with bands, but, um, as far as being a part of a band, uh, after I left local H, you know, I was happy and everything was fine. But then I think, you know, I kind of started wanting to do something again. I kind of had this feeling like I got to be a part of something again. So yeah, I, I would think that probably has a lot to do with it. <laughs> 
because in that first episode, I talked about um, you guys covering Sparkle Horse, and I and I said on that episode, if anybody's got a copy, you know, I know one's got to exist out there. And then, sure enough, you posted it on SoundCloud. Maybe yeah, that free. was after um, that was after I heard that episode. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. The magic of the internet, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of Sparkle Horse, you know, there's a box set coming out. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. It looks great. It looks awesome. I have one on order. Nice. There's a lot of box sets that all want my money and I don't have <laughs> money for all of there's a gang there's a gang of four box set coming out soon and yeah. So what's the process with regards to the actually getting the music? Does Deep Elm have you know rights or is that expired at a certain point? Did you guys own the masters? That expired a long time ago. Okay. Um basically since we weren't really doing anything it was just you know west told john over at deep elm just you know it just keep selling it keep you know and and honestly i think it's probably been five years that deep elm had this thing where you could just pay what you want so for a penny you could get the triple fast action record if you wanted i mean or you could pay Hmm. 10 bucks so it was kind of like it, it's not like it was making money at the time. It was just kind of sitting. It was a piece of his catalog, digital catalog at that point. Um, and it, w- it was just a matter of a phone call. I just called him up and um, he lives in Hawaii now. So uh, I just said, you know, basically we want to get this record out on vinyl. And he said, okay, I'll start taking everything down. It was easy. I imagine that probably is not the same with capital for broadcaster. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin's the only one with a contract. <laughs> oh, really? Dude, I do what? have the contract. Okay. Would you like to break it out and read it for us? Or no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is a novel. It's it's a very thick contract. Oh, I'd imagine. Only about forty five pages. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, you know, seeing as how so many other bands do that nowadays, mm-hmm. um, reissues, I don't think it would be that difficult to do that. Um, you know, Wes works in a man- at a management company out on the East Coast, and he has a lot of contacts still over at Capitol. Um, so I think it would just be a phone call for him just to call him up and say, hey, can we do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I it seems to have loosened up. Uh, the only thing that seems to be a problem is is the people who lost their masters in that big fire yeah we still have all the dats we have probably 10 or 15 mixes of every single song on that record because that's how <laughs> wow. we used to do it remember that kev yes <laughs> wow that is not yeah, how bruce springsteen up, did his new record vocal down bass up <laughs> bass down you know is nuts you anticipated this, needing it 25 years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that, should, you, I, reason, should I bring our other guest in? So, sure. You know, as as we're talking about that stuff? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, it's, it's, I think he's probably expecting my text, so we'll see if he pops in. Is, is somebody... Is some of, and I, I don't understand the Spotify world, the streaming world, but is that is some of this why that no triple fast stuff is on Spotify? It was, I think, 
and then Deep Elm pulled it when I asked them to. Okay. Because we knew we were going to have a new home. And you can't really do that with two different labels. It would get so messed up um, with rights and legally, just everything. Um, so he, he pulled it all down so that we could move forward with somebody else. Well, it'll get back up soon. <laughs> with bonus material. With nice. bonus material, yeah. Oh, so you are going to distribute the digital version too, Justin? Yep, yep. Okay. It'll all be out there. Good, because I've got some playlists I need to uh, add it to. Um, how, how much? Uh, how much vinyl is this? Because uh, are you putting everything? So you share with us what twenty three tracks? Is that all going to be in the vinyl release? And yeah. how much? Yep. How many discs does that end up being? Okay. Yeah, that'll be a nice gatefold, and it'll be on some sort of colored vinyl to be determined. Uh, it'll be it'll be cool. It looks really nice. It's a really nice package. Um, Mark Skillicorn did a great job. Um, awesome. He, 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 his current job is over at Wax Tracks. Um, him and Julian mm. Ash run all that stuff, and he does all the artwork for Wax Tracks. For years, he was um, doing art under the name Supercorn, a bunch of poster, like concert poster stuff around Chicago. Were you able to? Um, I, I know when bands do reissues they often will include as an opportunity to expand their their artwork uh, sort of a retrospective of pictures or or um you know set lists you know whatever memorabilia visual memorabilia did you guys use utilize that approach at all with regards to the the reissue yeah there's there's photos in there old photos um do we want to tell talk about liner notes, Justin? Uh, up to you. <laughs> um, Scott Lucas wrote the liner notes. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, Scott played with us. Uh, when did he start, Kev? Um, what was that? Ninety-seven. Uh oh, is that right? Chip yeah. with the vision. <laughs> there you go. With the evidence there. Rock shop, nice. <laughs> okay, cool. So. <laughs> I've got some notes. I'm trying to figure out um, where is it. Um, what did we determine? Because was was he he was on that Veruca Salt tour that we did in '97, mm -hmm. and we were trying to figure out a date on that. Maybe Chip knows. Uh, I don't know. Um, it would have been Fig Dish, Triple Fast, and Veruca Salt. I think it was probably maybe October or November of 97. And um, that was right after Ronnie left the band. So Scott hopped in, started playing with us when he had some downtime from local age. And um, so. Is this between records or after this? Between record? his records. Um, it, Cattlemen Don't had already been recorded and we were about to release it uh, when Scott joined. But Scott wasn't the only touring guitarist, right? I mean, I saw Blake, no. Sean. A whole laundry list of people. Sean, Sean Randy. Sean, Randy was a drummer. Randy Morris. Oh, yeah. That was um, Made to Fade. Fade. Yeah. Um, so we had Sean Rice. For a while, we had Alex from Muchacha. 
Blake Smith from Fig Dish. Um, anybody else, Kev? Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. And then uh, Ronnie came back for our last show at Metro. And um, and then oh, there you go, <laughs> Tim. Uh, chip and, popping up. Uh, I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready. And Dang. all of all of our touring second guitar people came out at the end of that set and sat in with us during Superstar. Everybody came out. That was fun. Bittersweet. No, no better way to go out there. Yeah, I think you guys played every song. At least from the first two, from the records and then some B side stuff. Yeah, it was you didn't leave anybody uh, wanting to hear that one song, right? Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, the creation of this record in the first place. Like timeline wise, this is pretty close within a year or so. The first record, sort of, what's the the path from the first record to this one, and then how do you decide uh, where you're going to record, who's going to produce it, sort of all that. Well, um, I think, and Kevin can stop me, but I think the obvious choice for us as far as producers was John and Yellow because he saved the previous record. Because we, um, on Broadcaster, we started it with one guy, Don Fleming, and we ended up taking it over to John to finish it. Um, All the music was on tape. but then during the mix down, it just, it wasn't happening. So John had to do some tricks to uh, fix it. And um, he did such a great job and he was such a cool guy that we were like, you're the obvious choice for the second record. John, um, John is the fifth Beatle. What, and, is, um, what, what does he bring? Especially that's interesting that it came in on the first record after it had been recorded. Like what, what did he bring specifically um, that was missing? Um, he fixed everything. The, the drums were originally recorded in a room that was probably 10 feet by seven feet or eight feet with a really low ceiling. Um, and it sounded like cardboard boxes. Mm. And um, so what he had to do is um, when Wes and him went in to fix this record broadcaster, he had to run. And I think he did the same thing with the bass. Is that correct? He had to run the bass through an Ampeg, Kevin. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So he took the tracks and he ran them into a live room. Like, so for the drums, he used this big room, and he put a giant speaker with a snare drum in front of it and mic'd the snare drum to get the actual rattle of the snare because that didn't exist in the first. Wow. Hmm. Um, there was a lot of things wrong with it. That's so, super cool. So John came up with all these different tricks and um, helped save that record. Now, the other thing is that that record was held by Capitol for so long that by the time it came out, we, we wanted to start working on another record already. Hmm. It was already so old to us. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that record came out in 96, but it should have come out in 95. We talked about why were that. Why were they holding it? We talked about that in episode five. It was because uh, 
right? Because a, a little band called the Beatles were reissuing all their stuff on. on oh, some. that's right. Right. So it got, it got pushed back. Um, and, uh, you know, we still continued and went on and did things, but I think we felt like the ship took off without us. Everybody else had already put their records out in Chicago, all the other bands we knew. Um, and they were all taken off and we were kind of felt like, although we were signed in that same frenzy of signing, we were the last ones to come out. And I think it felt like it was already over at that point, you know? Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause 96 is pretty late in terms of when you think about when major releases were happening and, and what bands were still around by that point. I mean, Nirvana's done. That's two years. Uh, Soundgarden's putting out their last record at that point. And you've got a lot of, uh, that's when you start to get into the weird, like one hit wonder, almost bands of, uh, that are sort of like quirky bands in, in like 96 and 97. And then it goes new metal after that. Right. Did you, did you guys record for deep Elm or did you shop it in deep Elm? Picked it up. You want to take it, Kev? Uh, yeah, we didn't record it for Deep Elm at all. I think we just were doing it uh, for ourselves, and we're just going to see what uh, what would come of it. Uh, but luckily, we did hook up with Deep Elm, and they kind of took the ball and ran with it. Yeah, so we, um, after us leaving Capitol... Um, and not having a home, um, our manager basically said that he would fund a new record because we had no, we had no money. We didn't, we didn't know how we were going to make something. So he funded the Cattleman Don't record so that we could shop it. And, um, nobody was really biting. Um, you know, at that point, I think we were just too tainted probably, um, after leaving mm. Capitol and it, the album, it had, had broadcaster done something like some real numbers. I think we probably would have had some more interest, but so we were kind of on our own. And then Deep Elm came along, John Such, and said that he would do it. And, you know, back then it was just CD. It was no vinyl or anything. So, um, he was doing everything out of his little New York flat somewhere down. I think he was like in on the lower West side or something, as I recall.
Where, where was the recording for this done? In Chicago and in Hoboken, yeah. New Jersey. Hmm. Water music? It is. Hoboken. Yeah, water music. Great really studio. Cool studio. Yeah. They moved, though. They had to move. Uh, yeah. A uh, number of years ago, I think. Like four years ago, I think. Because um, of development and stuff. So they had to move. But um, so we started at water music and um, did all the basic tracks there. And then we moved to Chicago to Soundworks. Um, Soundworks was a studio. Originally, the original location is where Carrie Brown started doing all like the Smashing Pumpkins demos and the band okay. Catherine recorded mm -hmm. out there. He was actually the drummer of Catherine. Um, I'm sure there's a hundred bands that recorded out of there, but I can't think of any right now other than those two. But we did... And, um, and then they ended up moving to a much larger space. And, um, that's where we did the rest of Cattleman Don't. We, um, we took it there and did overdubs and vocals. And, um, I remember doing drum tracks there, but I don't know why. Maybe I was overdubbing drums, Kev. <clears throat> I think so. Yeah. Like I was just kind of layering stuff there. Yeah. Um, but, uh. So I'll say you definitely fixed the drum problem because on this record, the drums <laughs> oh, This huge. record never had any problems. <laughs> yeah. This, this, yeah, Cattleman Don't was just, it felt right. Everything was, we already knew what not to do at that point. Hmm. John and Yellow had you know, taken over and kind of, he, he knew how to direct us. Um, I did all of my drums in one take except for one song. I do remember that. And I was pretty proud of myself on that. <laughs> um, and uh, I think we were just really prepared. Whereas, whereas Cattleman, I mean, whereas uh, Broadcaster, I think we were over-prepared. I think this one, we were, it was just right. We, we, we weren't overthinking too much. Um, we didn't have 30 songs to choose from. Whereas, what we had with uh broadcaster we had to whittle down from 30 songs this one it was uh i don't know how many songs total what what is it with the three bonus tracks from that session just uh, 16 and uh you know the intro track yeah so 16 songs and that's all we planned on recording for this one um so we did record 17 but the 17th song never got finished and that I don't know if anybody's ever going to hear that. It's uh, there's no vocals on it, but um, none, of, none of us remember recording it. John remembers recording it, but we don't. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, how uh, how do you guys prep uh, for this record? Do you do you do extensive demoing? What's what's that process look like before you go in? And especially since you're uh, you don't have an advance, you know, you use your man manager. Yeah money to well, go in and cut the, the capital deal we they bought us a um a mixing board that we put in our practice space and where we rehearsed um was smashing pumpkins old rehearsal spot so basically it was it was like i think two or three rooms in this one larger room and it was like a little studio room and a storage room and then a live room and like Kevin would sleep there and just write stuff all the time. Same thing with Wes. 
they would just hang out there all the time. Great spot. Great, great practice space. Is Local H still there? No, they got kicked out. Oh. It's gone. They're, they're ripping that thing down, and they're going to build condos. Wow. It was a, over by Reckless on Broadway, and um, it was a parking structure. And it, it, in the back, on the main floor, there was just this little storage room, big storage room. And it sucked. There was no heat. So you'd freeze out in the wintertime and it'd be so hot and humid in the summer. Really great for musical instruments, you know? <laughs> and, um, but that's, that's where we, we called home for a long time. I mean, we just basically lived there. We all had beds at apartments, but I mean, we just, that was the thing about triple fast. We just, we were always writing. We were always rehearsing. It was if we weren't on the t- on tour, we were in the practice space, just working, mm-hmm. you know. I'm going to play the Tim role here. So Tim, Jay, and Justin, did, did you guys know about this record when it came out? No. No. Um, right when it came out, no. Uh, a little bit after uh, is when I first heard it. And unfortunately, I was, I was too young to see. I think I saw you guys once. Um. I was, when you guys broke up, I was only 17. So any 18 or 21 and up shows were, were certainly out. I remember the same thing with Fig Dish. I think I only saw them once, um, you know, despite being a fan of the band, but they would just play 21 and over all the time. I think somewhere in this stack back here is, I, I have um, a silent partner burned copy of Cattle Mendo that, you know, the photocopied just trackless cover, but um, Wes must have sent it or, Dave Fry was your manager? Dave Fry. Somebody, one of those two, I'm sure, sent it to me. Cool. Um, Jay, we saw them live at Buzzard Fest in Cleveland at the the amphitheater. Do you remember going to that? No. In in 96? (laughs) They played the side stage. It was the main stage was like Candlebox 311, No Doubt, the Nixons. Um, Holy Barbarians and Triple uh, Tragically Hip, and then the side stage was along with Triple Fast Action was Berlin and, and Poe the, was Poe ref- on that show. Poe, the refreshments, and the refreshments got uh, mud thrown at them, and they were off in like three songs <laughs> because it had rained the previous day, so. And they decided to antagonize the people in the pit in front of them. And they all started throwing mud and they completely caked the instruments of the uh, refreshments. Nice. Um, were the refreshments from other bands? It was, it was, they were a band from Arizona and it's Roger Klein who has now like a band called like Roger Klein and the something, which I don't know. Peacemakers. Remember. Peacemakers. Right. Yeah. But they weren't a super group. No. no. Oh, okay. Did, didn't they do like the King of the Hill song? They did. Yep. Did they do like Okay. The King of the Hill theme song? Hmm. I believe so. Yeah. I think. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, that, I saw that same show with Candlebox, but I saw it at um, Polaris Amphitheater. Yeah. If Candlebox were doing it, I wonder if that was the tour we did with Candlebox. I wonder if we were out on tour with them. You know, I, I want to say that was earlier. For, so I, 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 I could be wrong. Because we toured with them on the Lucy tour. 
So I got a question for Justin. So I'm I'm not familiar with your label. Is it um what kind of bands are, do you put out? Uh, I mean, it's kind of a mix. Um, I'd say leaning heavily towards the punk and indie side of things. Um, been doing it for 20 years. Started with my own bands back in the early thousands, and then sort of kind of branched out to friends and then friends of friends and sort of kind of all over the place. But mostly uh, Midwest stuff, Milwaukee bands. Um, Chicago bands, Detroit bands, uh, kind of all over. Is this the first reissue you've done? Um, yes, I think this is the first. I did one for a band called Boys Night Out, uh, who were on uh, Ferret. Um, they were, they'd been friends, like I knew them at the time, uh, and that was on a different label, so it was a little easier to, to navigate. But uh, yeah, this is the first like record I remember from you know the '90s type thing. Yeah, this is the first full fledged reissue. Hopefully not the last. I hope to do some other ones. Uh, so I, I heard you talk about Fig Dish. So, you know, I'd be happy to have Fig Dish on vinyl if uh, that ever <laughs> comes <laughs> around. <laughs> yeah. Well, look who's here. Hey. Hey, there he is. Hey, guys. Hey, John. I'm sorry I'm late. Um, we had friends over for dinner, socially distancing out in the back, and I grilled a bunch of stuff. But uh, they just left, so I'm, I'm a little late. <laughs> No worries. It's good to see you, buddy. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Great. Great. Thanks for coming on the show. Jay and I have been, uh, we've talked about so many records that you have been involved with over the years. It's fi- It's great to finally have you on to talk about this record, uh, especially <laughs> since there's uh, so much to talk about with the reissue and everything. So thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. So we were just talking uh, not too long ago about your history with the band and, and bailing out the first record um, to get that released and then also working on this record. And um, Jay and I are, are, are very fascinated by the production side of things um, simply because, you know, it's such a sort of mystical, magical uh, uh, world with regards to what producers do and, and what they um, are alleged to do. And, um, Scott or, or, or Brian mentioned about you coming in and, and working to sort of save the drum sound on, um, on broadcaster. Right. And, um, can you talk a little bit about, um, when you, when you are in that situation where somebody comes to you and says, Hey, uh, this isn't working out. Um, can you help us make this sound good? Um, do you have a certain like set of ideas going in? Like I've done this before. I I have, you know, sort of tricks, not necessarily tricks, but ideas of what we can do to fix this. Or is it every, is every job sort of completely new and figuring it out from the start? Was it possible? You could have said, sorry guys, I can't help fix this. No, no, never, (laughs) never that. You know, you know, the, 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 the funny thing was, um, with that record, so the producer, Don Fleming, of that record, I was friends with, and I had done Screaming Trees records with, and um, I, when when they approached me about mixing it, I was, when I heard the roughs, I was, like, so into the band, um, and I loved the energy, and I just, I loved the songs, and it was really so right in my wheelhouse of what I was liking, and... Uh, Honestly, if I didn't work on the record, I would just like it as a fan. Um, so quite frankly, no, when they sent me that record, yeah, I kind of just did what I did. And, you know, I, I didn't really 
think about, you know, it wasn't like saving the record. I was just like, oh yeah, this is great. I can do, you know, guitars panned left and right and beef up the drums and just do my parallel compression stuff. I mean, it wasn't a thing where, it was just a thing where it was just natural. You know, I really, honestly, from working with the Screaming Trees and Dinosaur Jr. and bands like that and Buffalo Tom, I mean, they were just right in my wheelhouse of just what I liked. And yeah, it was, it really felt easy. Brian, did you not feel that? I mean, we didn't really struggle much with the mixing. I just mixed the songs and I felt like it sounded great. The record was already great. It just wasn't mixed, I guess, as, as it could have been, you know? I mean, I hate to say that because I never like you know, being negative with guys who are also making records, you know, because I feel like we're all like in this together. You know what I mean? And I don't know what happened with Broadcaster, but um, but no, I didn't really, I, I don't feel like I saved it. I feel like I just gave it a different take that suited the record right. You, you, know, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I do feel like, yeah, when we were done, it was great. And I just remember... I think at one point I talked to Brad Wood and he had said to me something like, oh, you're one of those guitar on the left, guitar on the right guys. And I was like, yeah, that's what I, I love stereo. You know, it wasn't like it was bad. I was like, I like when things are panned full. And I think that's what we did with their record where the guitars were like pumping on left and right. And then Brian was like pumping in the middle and then the bass, Kevin was pumping in the middle and, the vocals were kind of on top. Um, so I feel like it was, it was, for me, it was just a natural thing. I just did what I thought was good. Uh, honestly, I, you know, I, you know, I just have a, um, a sense of like what I feel like I, I, you know, it's like, I'm trying to make records that I liked as a kid, you know, and when I listen to headphones as a kid, in like 1940 or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever it was, like, you know, 1970. But when I'd listen, you know, when I'd be in my parents' basement getting high listening to records and I put on my headphones, like, I love those records and I try to make those records even today, you know, but different, obviously. So, did any of these songs in particular kind of take on a life, a new life in the studio? Like, I'm thinking of like Sent Them Straight with the, the horns um in there and well you, now you're talking uh, about cattlemen right yeah like so as yeah. you approach this next record and you've you know sort of a blank slate to work with did any of these songs sort of develop I mean, more through the the studio process i mean i i yeah some of them did i feel like i feel like we went in wanting to make a really noisy brash record but we also wanted to make a dynamic record where not every song sounded alike but the guys were really into like in your face big guitars feedback which once again i was fine with but but honestly i always like and then when the guys were talking to me about the reissue and i went back and listened to the record honestly i i like totally came back to heroes and I, that song has always just been a total, for me, like an anthem. And I love that song from the minute we recorded it. And I just, listening back to it again, I get chicken skin when I listen to it. Like I get that skin thing, which doesn't happen a lot. Um, but that song to me could be an anthem for any decade from 90 on, you know? 
Um, it's just such a great song. And um, I mean, I, I love Sent Them Straight. I love the horns. Like we, we, we did really good on a lot of that stuff. I really was proud of the record we made. And given the circumstances where the band was now not on a uh, capital, sorry, and they were doing it themselves. And we just wanted to make a kick-ass record to tell everybody, fuck this, these guys are great. You know, like we really had a fucking, not attitude, but you know what I mean? It was just a thing where like, we have to make a, a record that's in your face. Um, and I was really proud that we did it. And, and honestly, um, um, A Pure was another song that I was so psyched that it was just so slamming and it was so aggressive, but yet it had such great hooks. You know what I mean? It was such a hooky song, but yet it was also like just so aggressive. And I was just kind of, it was just fun. You know, we, Brian, remind, just say if I'm wrong, but I just remember going into the studio and we were just like, we gave zero fucks and we just was like, let's just, fucking make this as slamming as we can yeah it right? and I, I had mentioned that um it was like the first record that i had done that i did the whole record in one take each except i think cattlemen don't the song was the only one i messed up because you made me listen to a click track because we had to do some weird keyboard thing in there or something right. but um it was i mean a much better experience for us i think um and you know uh, the studio, uh, water, music, water yeah. amazing studio to work with. And like, you know, that was like your second home. As yeah. I recall. So it was good. So did you, did you cut all of the, uh, the basic tracks li live together, the bass drums, rhythm right. guitar? That's how it worked. Yeah. I mean, we did, we set up two guitars, bass and drums in the room, but the room was like a really huge and the drum room was fantastic. And then we had isolation boots for the amps, but everybody could just be around Brian and just play. And everybody had headphones on and, you know, everybody heard all the instruments, but it was, it was just a beautiful sounding room. I'm so pissed, you know, four years ago when that place closed because of mismanagement. And um, it was just so sad because it was such a great, place and the band could stay there and I live like right down the road well actually when we were doing the record I lived in Manhattan but but in the zeros I lived in Jersey City which was you know a mile and a half away and we could just go out at the end of the night and just you know hang out and then you know come back the next day it was it was a really wonderful working environment but um but you know it was it, it you know, and I think we all just, we kind of locked in, like, just on a, I don't know, just on a, um, an agreement of music level. Like, we were just so all agreed that this is the record we were going to make. Well, like, I think I Kevin, I, Kevin said it right, where he, he, he felt, and as we all did, that you were like an extension band member. It, it, it right. just felt right. perfect. It felt right. Everything. I don't remember ever having like an ish where it was like, oh, producer wants this, band wants that. We were just all equals. 
You know, yeah, and we it, all just like did the same. We all wanted the same thing, you know. But I loved, like I said, they wanted, the guitar guys wanted to bring the noise. And, um, and is that you, Bella? Oh, I can't, sorry. Uh, we have friends over. Um, uh, but it was like, let's bring the noise. Like I, when, when um, about th- two months ago, when we were talking about the whole reissue of the thing, I went back and listened to the record from beginning to end. And I just, it brought me back to like how we wanted it to be in your face, abrasive, but also have dynamic and just be like loud, but not loud. And just, but the loud stuff gnarly. And I fucking love it. I mean, I just, I just was so excited to help these guys do it. And quite frankly, you know, I loved mixing broadcaster and I was like, I would love to work with these guys. Like this is a band I fucking love. Um, and then when they asked me to do the next record, I was so happy that they wanted me to fucking do it. It was like so great. This is a record. I listened, I listened to this record multiple times every year. I mean, it's, it's always in rotation, but um, the theremin and if was that something that you guys came in with that or did you guys add that in to the song brian whose idea was that yeah the theremin story all right so um we were in london and wes found this little guitar pedal that had a wire sticking out of it and they rigged it up to be a theremin and kevin was it just an on and off or was there a uh, was there a knob no i think it was just a on and off thing it just did one function and just turned it on and it started going. And I don't know if it was written in the practice space with the theremin idea, how that came up. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, don't I actually don't but, remember. But in the studio, we did, each person got a chance to do a theremin solo. And everybody liked my theremin <laughs> solo the best. <laughs> and so that one made it on the record. But then, then the theremin broke. <laughs> do you remember this, John? No, I don't. You don't remember the theremin breaking? Uh, I know nothing about the theremin breaking. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kevin. Hi, John. Good to so see Brian, you, brother. I, so, Kevin, I have seen, I've talked to Brian a bunch over the last, like, he moved to Jersey City when I lived there. I haven't talked to you forever. No, it's not, not since uh, Cattlemen, probably. <laughs> so, good to see you, man. Good to see you, brother. It, I was just talking to my wife tonight about when Brian lived in Jersey city and we're like, you remember, cause you know, we, we have seen Brian like multiple times over the last like 10 years or I have at least, but she has to, but um, you know, he lived like a mile from us in Jersey city. It was fantastic. It was yeah. like, so oh yeah, Brian's living in Jersey city. Let's hang out. It was like so we'd, we'd run into each other. You going, you coming out of the sushi place and me and me and my wife going in or something, you know? Yeah. So good. What are you drinking, John? I'm drinking rosé. So we had some friends over and uh, I sous vide some pork and then we uh, made some food and then they just left. And um, yeah, I basically started drinking rosé at like, I guess like two or three hours ago. I'm drinking bush beer. Nice. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> So I noticed on, uh, you mentioned 
that you didn't use a click right for the whole record except one song and, and it's it stood out to me and i think it's um what song is it euro girl mm-hmm. where you speed you're clearly speeding the song up right right and that's I, intentional yeah as i reviewed the record i was like mm, they're not using a click on this record <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah. So for, for those people listening don't know what difference that makes, like you can't right. do a technique like that if you've got to now on. see now you have to program it. If you're recording a pro tools, if you use a click, you have to program it. So it speeds up at a certain point. But, you know, once again, you know, I'm a 61 year old guy. So I was making records in the eighties and nineties where we didn't really use a click that much. And these guys were great because they didn't need it. And, Quite frankly, there's still people that I work with who, like, for example, Steve Shelley from Sonic Youth, like he doesn't play to a click, but he, if I tell him to speed up on the chorus, he'll do it. So I love the fact that I don't have to do it, but, but I will say if I, you know, I also use it. And my favorite thing is in Pro Tools, I don't really use a click in Pro Tools. I use a click, uh, a drum machine next to me so I can sit and speed it up right before the you know like i'll do the thing where i'll speed up the click track before the chorus to make the band play faster but these guys they were it was perfect they didn't need to use it and brian was able to just like you know brian if brian knew okay chorus goes faster he did it but then you come back west and i had been playing together since junior high school we were always in bands together so it was as far as a package goes we would we knew each other so well going into everything every band we were in it was just kind of like a package deal almost um and uh, i think that helped a lot where west would write these songs and i mean i i guess it was just second nature for us to have all that down you know it's great it was fantastic one of the things you guys the funniest so the funniest non-click story for me is the dinosaur junior song feel the pain where i don't know if you guys you guys should go back and listen to it but it starts at like a certain tempo and ends like 30 bpm faster mm-hmm. and that's just the way he played it but the thing is it sounds good and it's natural so my thing is like you know with certain artists you don't need a click with with the triple fast guys with brian you didn't need we didn't need a click he knew he knew how to navigate the tempos perfectly. And if I hit the talk back and said, all right, the choruses maybe a little too fast, he would just come back, you know, and just, it would be fine. But it wasn't a thing where you had people who needed the click to know what the tempo was. I mean, these guys felt, they felt the tempo when it was right or when it wasn't right. So yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it comes through, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, Yeah. and by the way, the record feels so good because there's not a click you know that's the reason why it feels so good you know it feels natural when i was trying to listen to it with a a little more um, recently knowing i was going to do this with a little more critical ear than a fan ear you know what like euro girl i was trying to think you know do you know the silver sun pickup song lazy eye Mm-hmm. I don't, but I know I like them. I, I like, I, I do. like, I feel like the tempo, like lazy eye kind of starts and then it kind of builds and builds and builds and kind of like hits this, like a neuro girl kind of like that explosion sound, like right kind of in the middle of the song right. where it kind of goes, that, that's the closest I can compare to. Like I, I noticed the differences to, or the similarities today when I was listening to well, Neurogirl. Jay, we just talked about the Mark Lanigan album 
Whiskey for the Holy Ghost, and there's a song on there <laughs> where he increases the tempo. Yeah. Is it? It's this like Baracho. Yeah. 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 It's a great technique because it it builds the volume of the song and the speed, so it gets more intense and more intense and more intense. It's a hard thing to pull off though, because I've, se- I've seen that in yeah. the studio, and it's not. <laughs> it doesn't well, always work. Heard, you've heard bad bands try to do it, and it's right. It doesn't work. You have to be really skilled to pull it off someday we'll talk about my experience on whiskey for the holy ghost that's a different podcast <laughs> <laughs> i heard um, it guys he's gonna do another podcast with you. <laughs> well if, if you read if you read the lanigan book uh, like step back and whatever it is like sing loudly like his chapter on whiskey is insane and the way he depicts me is totally insane <laughs> and I guess part of it is probably true, but I can't, like when I read, I'm like, I don't think that's me, but maybe it was. It's like, oh my God. He's awesome. I love him. But um, yeah, no, that was a crazy time in history. Um, but anyway, but, um, but no, I love it. I mean, and even in Cattlemen Don't, um, that song just explodes. Like there's a natural explosion of energy that happens with these songs that are so good um and it's just from a band that plays live that has a total inner rhythm and inner tempo and they know when to ramp it up and they all do it together but it's not something you can program you know because if you program that in like pro tools it like it picks up at like the downbeat of the chorus but with them, they kind of come up naturally into the core. It's like a thing. It's like with auto tuning. You know, great singers get to the note a certain way. With auto tuning, it makes them go to the note at the beginning, and it's not really singing. So I love the fact that those guys had that in them, and they knew how to explode into sections. It, it, it's really very musical. I mean, you don't. You know, it's the kind of thing you can't really replicate. Um, And if you don't know the difference, you don't know the difference. But if you listen to music and you know the difference, it's really, it's a fantastic thing. Like, you know, uh, uh, four people playing together, exploding into the chorus just makes it, the energy is so great. It's just wonderful. Another thing that stood out on this record to me was uh, the amount, I think it's, is it flange? being used on the guitars there's a lot of there's a lot of flange there's a lot of flange on this record a lot like this might be the most flange ever put on a record uh, <laughs> probably since where did yes. that come was that part of the demos or was that like something that just worked in the mix or i think the demos for this were pretty sparse i i i don't think we 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 had the songs and um but all the like the studio tricks we hadn't really gotten there yet. That, that came when John took the project. Um, so I, I think probably, I think Ronnie, Kevin, Ronnie used a, did he use a chorus? Yeah. I think it was guitar pedals. I think it was like a lot of guitar pedals. Okay. Yeah. And, um, but I think Ronnie's main one was a chorus. Wes had the big muff and probably, uh, I don't know if he had a plan. Maybe an electric mistress. Cause there was a lot of, there was a lot. Yeah, there was a lot. I don't think I did it. I think you guys. Oh, no, yeah, it was it was a lot of guitar pedals. Those those right. guys were 
very into guitar pedals. Uh, you know, I think Wes had a delay pedal and uh, yeah. Wes was really uh, huge into to pedals and co collecting them. Was, was Ronnie, like, did he go into the record full member? Like, let's do this thing. Or did you guys know that he was recording in the now? Oh, no. No, Ronnie, Ronnie was always a full-fledged member up until the day he left, right. um, which, which the album had gone out. We had been touring on it, and it's just personal life got in the way. Work got in the way. You know, is it was at the point, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, not having capital behind it. No capital money anymore. Yeah. It was, you know, and... So we all had jobs when we went home, whereas before it was like we lived off of tour support and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it, it just life got in the way. Yeah. For Ron. What was the yeah, duration to make the record? How long did it take to make the record, Kettleman Don't? Shit, I want to think, Brian, you'll check me or Kevin, you'll check me on this. But I think, what, we recorded it for like, Two weeks at Water Music. Did we not do overdubs in Chicago for a couple of weeks? Yes. And then we mixed it for maybe a week or two in back in New Jersey. Yeah, and that was you and so I would guess it was like a five-week record. Okay. Which, by the way, back then was, you know, not on... Actually, back then, it was probably short. It was, you know, back because back then we were making like eight week records. And I, but I think we were, you guys were well prepared. It wasn't like we cut corners. We, we had plenty of time. How fun was the time in Chicago? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so I've never had so much fun going someplace else to do overdubs than with these guys in Chicago. I mean, we worked very hard. Mm -hmm. But remember, like, was that, wasn't that Whirly Burl? Really yep. <laughs> ball, ball. The the coldest winter I had ever experienced in my life. Yeah, and we used to. We, you you had a you had an apartment we got you over yeah. on, a, I think it was on Augusta. Right, and there was like a little old man bar that we would always go to right after each right. session when we dropped you off. Yeah. It was a fun time. We had so much fun. Um, that's the other thing I got to say about that record is we had so much fun. We all just had a great time, but we also worked really hard. It wasn't just like, oh, party, party, party. We worked really hard, but when we weren't working, we would go out and just have a blast. And, and it, it, was, it was hard work. I mean, we really put in the hours, but we, I think we all got along so great and then at the end of the night, it was like on a certain record, you'd be like, at the end of the night, all right, I want to go home. But like, we were like, let's hang out. Mm -hmm. Like we all just were so, like you said, um, we were all just part of the unit. We were together unit of people. It was so great. Yeah, I, I fucking loved it. I mean, I just, it was, it was such a great record to work on. She's gonna hold me tight She's gonna 
I, I know the guitarists aren't here, but uh, the guitar tone uh, on this record is fantastic. And it, we talk about a lot of times records being having a timeless sound, and and so many records get stamped because of production or or because of guitar tones or drum sounds that they get stamped to a particular time period, whether it's like too much reverb or what have you. But the guitars on this record sound in like I think you said earlier like enormous and 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 dirty but also there's like there it, it when you crank this it doesn't become it doesn't like break down whereas yeah. you know some records you you crank them and it just becomes overwhelming yeah. and uh, what was the do you remember what was the setup with regards to the guitars in terms of uh, were you guys switching in with different cabinets and and setups or was it a pretty pretty consistent setup for the most of the record um i don't remember what amps those guys used. Like my thing traditionally is I capture very much two mics on the amp in your face. I don't do room mics. Um, and this is like with them and Dino and Screaming Trees or whatever, Sonic Youth. Like my thing is not, I'm not making the sound. You know what I mean? I'm putting a U87, a, a really great condenser mic, and then either a 421 or a 57 next to it. So they're like one big mic. And I um, a mix to taste. I don't do any room mics. And my thing is I just capture the immediate sound because my feeling is I want both mics on the grill so that when I record them and I play them back, they're jumping out of the speaker. There's no air. It's the immediate sound of the amp. So that's what I did on their amps. I mean, they provided the effects, the pedals, the distortion. I don't remember what they did. I just don't. I mean, I, I don't remember what Thurston or Jay did on, on their you know, records. I just They just did their thing. But my, my thing is more like just keeping it super in your face. Like I want as little air as possible between, you know, from the, the hit of the guitar to the sound. Um, so that's what I did. I mean, I, you know, but, but like we, we talked about previously with like the phasing and the flanging. I mean, those guys loved using pedals. I mean, they made, you know, if you listen to the record, there's just crazy flanging tones and, I don't know. Maybe one. Do you guys know? Did did Wes or or Ronnie have like an electric mistress? Well, here I I, I got this note here that I remember posting um, because I had to talk to Wes and Ronnie about some of their gear for some gearhead, and they told me that they used JCM eight hundred hundred watt heads. Yeah, so those are Wes had his rewired for different ohms for some reason, and. Um, Wes used an MXR flanger, there an MXR chorus, a go. green Russian Big Muff, there and a go. mini theremin. And then Ronnie had a Big Muff Pie, flanger EQ, and a boost. That's basically yeah, there you it. Go. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, what they got. But my, my thing is literally so much creating the sound, capturing it and just having it be in your face. So, and I've done that traditionally where it's like, it's not, I'm not the guy providing all the effects. You know what I mean? I'm the guy just making it try to sound as loud as possible. 
But those guys came in with guns bursting with like just, you know, the, the flanging sounds are all them. I mean, and mm-hmm. it's pretty severe, you know, it's pretty great. Um, yeah, and we're with, it helps the two guitars and the bass. Oh yeah. Together. It's so good. <laughs> but like, for example, pure is such a great, like when pure starts and it's just like, what the fuck is going on? And then it explodes into the band. It's so good. You know, I, I actually, I, I, I I think it's, I'm more talking about the breakdown before it goes into the last chorus or something, but whatever. But the point is, it just sounds so great. And I mean, it's just that like gnarly, like modulated guitar. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, they, they, you know, they, they brought the, uh, the, the shit. I just tried to capture it like as um, in your face as possible. John, are there records while well, we've got you here? Uh, are there records like with Cattleman Don't that have seen, have not seen a, I guess a a um, a, a, a resurgence in terms of uh, of vinyl reissues that you would like to see get a second life, you know, that are going to get ex- that exposed the second time. Are there any ones that that you've worked on? You think, man, people should have really heard this record because it deserves um, it. I will say that I work on a lot of records, and I'm really passionate about the records I work on. And I will say that I have worked on records I really, really love, and they haven't just gotten exposed in the way they should have. And I don't blame the record companies. I don't blame the band. I just, it's just, it's hard, you know? Um, but yeah, there are, there are, there are a handful of them. I mean, I, I have, you know, along with Cattle Mendon, I have a bunch that I'm very passionate about that, you know, I still listen, you know, me and my wife will be sitting on the back porch and we'll listen to a record and we'll be like, ah, this sucks that like not everybody heard of it. But that's just the nature of what we do. You know, it's 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 a hard, it's a hard scenario because I can only make the records and then I have to hand them off. And, you know, you I was psyched to finally hear uh, Red Cross's Phase Shifter. Yeah. That vinyl mm-hmm. that came right. out not that long ago. Yep. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. No, that's a perfect one. Like we finished that and I I love that record and I was so proud of it, you know, and happy that we made that record. But I feel like more people should have heard it, but it's, you know, you don't, you don't know, but you know what? You just got to go and, you know, I still, to this day, I'm, I love them. And I, there are some like, I'll tell you guys moving forward, I hate to plug records, but um, this new Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah record that I mixed like last year, um, it's going to come out in January and I love it and I hope it does well. He's so great. But, you know, once again, I just have no control over, you know, once I it's mastered and I hand it over, I just, I have no, I don't know, you know, but, um, but yeah. So yes, there are a lot of them there. I could name you like, 10 of them in the last 20 years that I wish more people would hear, you know? I think you need to plug. I mean, John, I don't know if you know the the premise of the dig me out podcast. I should let the the host tell you what it is, but that's (laughs) digging out those records that no one's ever heard. Right. The the whole premise of our show is we focus on albums of the nineties that people might've missed. 
and we, well, we this give is, them a second life. But well, this is albums of those zeros and tens. So I guess call me <laughs> gotcha. when you do that. <laughs> that's when we've we expand dabbled. the yeah, we've dabbled a little bit, but we we yeah. have to uh we have to find more time in our week for uh yeah, 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 no, it's fine. Yeah, fun. yeah. <laughs> but we're big fans of phase shifter, so yes. Dude, that's a little that, that was and that's another one, honestly, like with Cattleman. Honestly, that was another one that we had a lot of fun. Um, I forget the song, but one of the songs opens with us playing the game Pit. Um, I forget the song title, but it's like literally us all playing Pit. And we put a mic up and we recorded us playing this game. It's like, I got two, I got two, I got two, Pit. And then the song hits. And it was literally just us in the lounge of the studio playing this game. And some, one of us decided to record it. It wasn't me, but it was so fun. They were like a fun group of guys to like hang out with. That's, that's a really good record. And this, this, uh, Kettleman Don't actually remind me a little bit of that, um, that record. Oh, yeah. Just very like, in your face, guitar tones, very, uh, fuzzy very, and out of control, but yeah. at the heart of it are pop, you know, pop songs with good melodies. Absolutely. All right, I am gonna go only because my wife and our two of our friends are still on the deck. <laughs> Is it cold there yet? You know, so my wife bought this fucking crazy heat lamp, this mushroom lamp, you know, those tall things. She ordered it on Amazon a week ago, we got it. And I was just like, this is bullshit. And then yesterday we were hanging out and I was like, oh, put it, let me put it together. And uh, so me and my buddy, Bill, who's staying with us, uh, this couple put it together and it's fantastic. So we put it together and now everybody's just, we're just hanging out on the back porch with this heat lamp and it really, it like is magical. So it's not that cold. I'm wearing a jacket. This is all you need. And we have the heat lamp. When COVID's over, I'm going to, I'm going to visit you and check out your lamp. Dude, you can visit me whenever you want. It'd be fantastic. By the way, the kids are so great. Like the 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 rocking out stuff is so good. Yeah, it's fun watching them grow. Oh my god, you're so you're such a great rock dad, dude. <laughs> nobody like it's so good. I finally got so Brian, you like this? I finally got my daughter into vinyl. Oh, right on. And we did it via like Taylor Swift and like Billie Eilish, but she now sits in the vinyl room and listens to vinyl. It's so oh, right on. I'm so excited. That's cool. Yeah. John, I, I want to make sure before you leave, Brian, if, if you haven't already shared it. So, you know, a hundred years ago, um, this is one of those records and triple fast is one of those bands that I've just, I've loved since the second I heard. And um, similar to like Justin here, right? Like I have zero music publishing knowledge recording knowledge mixing knowledge but um i thought more people needed to hear triple fast and so i started soliciting um bands to do a tribute album great i had no idea what to do with it so i have 15 mp3s that i sent to brian that i've had in my on my hard drive for now 15 20 years um i'd love to have you hear them sometime so maybe brian can pass um, them on. brian will give you my email awesome yes yeah, so i'd love to hear them yeah, it was a fun thing to try to put together. Like I said, I, I didn't know how, I didn't know, like Justin, like I had no idea what to do with it. I, I had the idea, but not the, the next step. And so they've been sitting on a hard drive for 15 years. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about tonight. Like I, like I totally forgot and fucked up because we were entertaining and I was trying to sue me. Don't uh, worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about the problem. This was fantastic. Yeah, it was a pleasure seeing you, John. But I would love to hang with you guys again. And obviously, Brian, like, so we were, me and my wife were talking about like last year, October 5th, we spent our anniversary hanging out with Brian side stage with the cheap trick guys and he totally made our anniversary like one of the best anniversaries ever uh you guys are worth it yeah but anyway (laughs) fantastic but thank you guys thank you Um, thank you john yeah all right thanks john love love, love seeing you uh kevin great seeing you (laughs) thanks (laughs) kevin yeah okay sorry i can't i haven't seen you in forever i know all right be good all okay. right, love you, man. Thanks, John. Thank love you, guys. You. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fun. Okay. So give us a roundup of, uh, there's a lot of extra material in here. We touched on it at the beginning. Sort of um, what is this, the extra stuff? Is, are these demos? Are these complete songs? Kind of just give us a, an overview of like. Break out uh, your notes. Yeah, stuff here. So you got the whole album, which starts with Ronnie's theme, ends with Bear of Bad News. And then we have three outtakes from the Cattleman Don't sessions, um, which actually a few of those were available on uh, like some compilations, like some sampler things that Deep Elm did that were just kind of like promotional only type things i think and then it's on uh emo diaries right the first yeah one. now were those were those promotional i think no, that was a that was like a full release i remember buying that when it came out yeah okay somewhere back there so then <laughs> um so those songs i mean are we justin are we telling people names of songs now or don't we spoil it all yeah go, i mean whatever <laughs> okay so underwear all better now and I want to know. Those were the outtakes from the actual Cattleman Don't sessions. Then the last side, side four of this record, has one, two, three, four, five, six songs that have never been commercially released. Um, few people may have heard one, probably one of those songs. I think Chip has heard one for sure a different one than i'm thinking um but those we did two of those songs at soundworks um before we did cattleman don't but because they were done in the same studio that we recorded half of cattleman don't it seemed like it made sense and those um so we did those two songs and then four more songs that we recorded at our practice space. Um, one of which Wes actually played everything on. I think it's the, the last song on the record is the song Wes wrote it and performed the whole thing all by himself. Um, so I don't know how much more in depth you want me to get. I don't want to ruin any surprises for anybody, but I mean, I could, <laughs> with song titles and all, but it'll be out there. (laughs) So, uh, we mentioned that this is 
going live just after the announcement. So what is the, where can people go to get the record? What's the plan for is the, the release date where people are actually be able to hold the vinyl in their hands. What's, what are all the logistics involved there? Sure. So the release date is going to be January 21st of 2021 officially. Um, we're hoping they'll be done by the end of the year. So anybody who pre-orders it can get them before the end of the year, but you know, we don't, we don't really know. So we're, we're saying ship dates around the first, but, um, it's kind of a crapshoot. Uh, pressing records takes a lot longer, uh, currently due to a few, a few industry things. The, the company that made all the lacquers burned down, um, earlier this year, maybe it was late last year. So the production is a little bit slower than it used to be. Um, the, the record will be on sale on the 6th. So by the time this airs, it'll be out. Um, available for pre-order. Um, you can go to forgeagainrecords.com or uh, forgeagainrecords.bandcamp.com also. Um, yeah, you'll be able to pre-order it. Um, the early copies will come with another bonus uh, that we'll, we'll let people hear about uh, soon. <laughs> <laughs> we won't spoil any funds. The, the fun stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll pull out of that one a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah cool. no, it'll be, um, you know, You'll be able to get the the original record. You know, you'll be able to download it and stream it. Uh, I don't think we'll hit this. We're not going to hit the streaming sites until January, but um, you'll be able to listen to it through Bandcamp, the original record, and then the we'll slowly release a couple of the the unreleased stuff, and then eventually you'll get the whole thing in January. It'll be everywhere. Can Very you cool. talk about the color of the vinyl, or is that under wraps for now? Um, I'm, I I think we can talk about it. It'll probably be announced by Friday. I think we were planning to do yellow and pink to match the art. Cool. So there'll be, there'll be two options. Uh, and then, you know, we'll see how it goes and it'll, I think it looks great. Um, you know, the, the mock-ups or whatever look really good and, um, I'm stoked and we're pressing them locally in Chicago. Um, it's a pressing plant called smash plastic that opened about two years ago. Uh, great plant, uh, really nice guys. It's uh, it's wonderful working. Uh, first of all, just doing stuff domestically, pressing records domestically, yeah. um, and then you know, obviously the bonus of being in Chicago, so I can go there and I can, I can watch. I don't know if they'll let me do it now because uh, COVID, but um, you know, the other records I press there, I've gone and watched them. You know, put them through the press and listen to one hot off the hot the press. It's pretty cool. Kevin should go with you. Absolutely, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, we'll uh, let you know when they're they're on the press, and I'm, you know, they're they're good about doing things quickly for me. They're, you know, again, they try to to cater to help you. Uh, the smaller labels are not looking to press a hundred thousand Lady Gaga records or whatever. They're, you know, they're pressing small uh, independent labels, smaller stuff like like mine and tons of other labels in the city and around the city. That's very cool that there's a new plant. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, they're they're kind of popping up. Um, yeah. Jack White opened up a huge one in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're, I mean, you can make, they new, make new machines. I remember 10 years ago, I looked into the possibility of trying to start one and it was just, you know, you have to buy an old press. You have to find someone who knows how to run a boiler and knows how to run that old press. And it was just, it's like, all right, never mind. I'm not interested. But now you can kind of, you can buy a brand new one that doesn't use a boiler. Um, you can, you know, it, it's doable. It's, it's come back enough to the point where it made sense to make those. I mean, there's old old machines, all those old ones, and 
anytime a pressing plant will get wind of another plant closing or um, another, you know, one going for sale, they would buy it up immediately. So it kind of uh, consolidated to just a handful of plants here in the States. Cool. So it's cool to see them spreading out and hopefully yeah. it'll help yeah. the turnaround. Well, especially for the, a Chicago band to be able to do with it, you know, a Chicago plant. That's, that's kind of a cool little story. The Chicago. Way. Sure. Yeah, no, I absolutely. Do it yeah. As local as possible. Yeah, that's great. So Justin, you, you made them um, agree in order to put the record out that they have to do uh, like a show to promote it. Right. <laughs> I think I was the only one who did not require that. <laughs> I mean, as much as I'd like to see it, um, and I think a lot of people would like to see it, and I will certainly not object if they eventually do it, but, uh, you know, I think it's important, you know, the things people remember about bands are these albums, and I think that's sort of the point of this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you never saw this band, but this record really meant something to you, and, you know, a record that you hear now that came out in 1997 might mean a lot to you. Um, you know, there's tons of bands that I think this podcast has helped for sure. I found a lot of stuff that I had never listened to, never gave a chance. And now it's just so easy to find stuff. You just dig yeah, through right. YouTube or Spotify or whatever. It's like in the 90s, if you didn't happen to see Triple Fast Action, uh, you didn't happen to, you know, be at a show they played or, you know, know a band that knew them or see them somewhere. It was just it was a crapshoot whether or not you ever heard that song on the radio. You saw the, the video on 120 minutes or on college radio. You just really never knew. And I'm still discovering bands from the nineties that I never, never heard. And that sort of actually would led me to your podcast uh, in the first place. <laughs> I feel like now would be a good time to, we got a couple comments over at the Patreon page. Uh, when we, whenever we post a, an upcoming episode, we let people leave some comments that they want to tell us, you know, they're they're happy we're doing this record or, or why are you doing this record? It's terrible. Uh, luckily, there was more in the A column than the B column for this <laughs> episode. But I just want to throw them out there because people were very excited that we were doing this episode. Andrew O.C. said, this is simply one of the finest records in my collection from the rage and aggression we hear in Pure to the gentle sonic builds in the title track and Eurogirl. This album is exciting front to back. So are the B-sides, even though... We've heard great releases from its members since the band broke up. It's a shame. We haven't heard any creative output since West, up from West since. It's incredible. It's taken this long to get dug out, but consider me, but consider me, I'm ready. Um, Willie Dillon said, great album, awesome energy and feel. I love the way if starts out slow and somber and then explodes all of a sudden. Great drumming on the album, courtesy of Brian St. Clair. It's a shame that more people don't know about this band. Steven Musinski said, I'm so stoked this is getting reviewed. I think this is a far superior this is far superior to Broadcaster, which was already reviewed. Always struck me a little odd that the record came out on Deep Elm, but it's a worthy album nonetheless. There's an exclusive track on one of the Deep Elmo Deep Elm Elmo Elmo Emo Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue twister. The Elmo Diaries uh, comes is pretty great as well. I think I bought the CD off eBay, having never heard a single note, just because Scott from Local H talked them up. Glad I did. Duck and Run and If are probably my favorite songs, but there's not a skipper on here if you ask me. Dewey Cole said, huge fan of this record and just feel bad it took me until 2001 to find it. When Brian joined Local H in 1999, Triple Fast Action got 
brought up an awful lot on the local H message boards. Message boards, remember them? Uh, <laughs> and eventually all of the H fans became triple fast fans. We all loved both albums, but this one in particular, my favorite track, You Are a Girl, one of the best buildups I've ever heard in a rock song. And the payoff to some minutes in is pure bliss. And then he makes a comment about vinyl. And then finally, Kyle Bittner says, first time listening to this, and I am ashamed for never hearing it, for never hearing uh, this band before. It has a great blend of everything I love about the 90s rock, songs that build over time, crunchy loud guitars, dynamic vocals, and range from soft to sweet to loud and aggressive. This will be on regular rotation for some time. So there you have it. Some people who have been listening to this record for a while, and some people have just discovered it and are happy awesome. to have done so. So that's the thing that I, I love about uh, our, our podcast is that we're always introducing people to great albums that they might have missed. I mean, there were so many albums coming out in the 90s. Uh, we're 500 episodes into this, and we have not scratched the surface, literally, of how many records came out in the 90s. So it's always great when uh, when folks get hip to something that we've known about for a little while or some of our other listeners have, have known about. Um, Jay, Chip, anything else you wanted to cover? Because we're getting into like close to the two-hour mark here on, on this, and um, I don't want to eat up all of Brian and, and Kevin's and Justin's <laughs> Sunday evening. There's, there's uh, you know, probably some football to watch that uh, I'm missing right now. I just want to thank Justin for doing this. This is awesome. I can't yeah. wait to run. Yeah. I'm honored to do it. Um, you know, it's it's a dream, right? Uh, to to take those albums that mean a lot to you from uh, from back way back when and, and get them out in the world, and hopefully, again, some new people hear about it. Uh, I was I'm glad that I just happened to see the post. I was like, shit, I, I'll do that in a second. You know, I'll uh, I'll sink the money into it and give it a shot. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, as much as we can, you know, talk about some of these bands and point people to streaming, it's really nice to have somebody putting physical product out that yeah. you can actually hold in your hand and buy, and it just makes it more special. And so that's that's super cool that you're doing this. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, me yep. too. I'm uh, very excited to getting this one in my hands <laughs> for the first time. Likewise, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Justin, just so we're clear um, for all the listeners, the the pre-orders start on. It'll be live by the time this is on. So they're going to start on the 6th. This is going to be on the 10th. Yep. Yep. So yeah, pre-orders are live. Um, you know, I'm not going to make people wait until the end of January. If the records are in, in the middle of December, we'll ship them in the middle of December. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to delay the gratification any longer. It's been 23 plus years. So Excellent. <laughs> That'd be a nice Christmas present. Just saying. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping uh, it'd be really great to uh, be able to get them all out by then, but we'll, Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, I think this is a good spot for us to wrap up. Um, thanks so much. Thank you. To, uh, to all of you for, for spending your Sunday evening and also to John who left early. Um, hope he's enjoying his rosé. And uh, uh, Justin, again, the website that they can go to? Uh, Forgeagainrecords.com, uh, the label website. Or through forgeagainrecords.bandcamp.com. Awesome. And yeah. want to remind everybody, digmeoutpodcast.com is where you can go to suggest an album. Uh, you can where you can go to join our Patreon. And it's where you can go to join our weekly newsletter, The Box. 
to get reviews of new records and uh, our release calendar of all the new stuff coming out in movies, music, and books related to 80s and 90s music. So, for Jay and the gang, we're out. Jay and I will be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Dig Me Out.